Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, Matt. Hey, Ben. Good to see you. Welcome, everybody, to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Uh, my name is Ben Sternke, this one of Matt the co-founders. I'm here with Matt Tebby. We're um, uh, excited to bring this episode to you with Brian Zond. I think Brian is the person who has been on our podcast the most, yep. besides us. Yeah. But like, he's the guest that, we, uh, that keeps giving, <laughs> the, the guest that keeps uh, coming. You know this guy, and he gets... We talk about four major things that Christians are disagreeing over right now. Mm. And towards the end, I wish we had more time, because towards the end, I think we get into a place that we really desperately need to chat about, but uh, we didn't really give it enough time. So you'll have to listen. You will have to listen. And then but, let us know yeah. what you think. Yes. And we put these four topics in the in the title of this episode, so you guys are aware of this. But we're talking about the Bible, um, we're talking about hell, we're talking about politics, and we're talking about sexuality. Um, and of course, uh, any podcast is probably not going to be long enough to deal with uh, all that we need to talk through when it comes to sexuality. But um, anyway, it's a topic that needs to be talked about, and we need to have uh, we need to find new ways to talk about it. Uh, and I think Brian uh, does a really good job of doing that. I'm uh, this is a, a podcast I was only on for half of it. I remember this now. <laughs> I yeah. had to leave in the middle of it. Uh, I was uh, I was remote. So anyway, hopefully that uh, hopefully that's seamless. I didn't get a chance to listen to the rest of it. You'll be listening so with I'm, everybody else. Yeah, I'm right. li- I'll be listening at least to the second half, so that'll be fun. Yeah, we want to get to that podcast real quick. We got a parenting workshop coming up in Lansing, Michigan. Parenting and grace and truth. This is going to be fun, folks. Yeah, it will be. Uh, we, t- we take kind of one of our main tools from Gravity Leadership Academy, which is grace and truth. Uh, how, do we, uh, live, how do we inhabit um, the posture of Jesus? And we apply that to uh, parenting, how, how to parent in such a way that we're not just in survival mode all the time, but uh, parenting in a way that, um, yeah, is a bit more intentional about uh, what it means to be a parent, uh, what, uh, what our calling is uh, to do for these little, little ones that the Lord has given us, uh, and um, yeah, how to, how to make disciples as we parent. So we're excited about that. There's a link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, you can join us up there in Lansing, Michigan, if you're in the area. Um, and don't forget about our membership community on Patreon, um, specifically our Practitioner Podcast, yep. which uh, we just released, uh, Just released. actually, I think this week we'll release another new episode uh, for 2020. Um, we talk a little bit more intimately, a little bit more um, vulnerably, a little bit more uh, concretely, I guess. And if you do support us... Some of the, 
you know, things. Yeah, some of the stuff of ministry that maybe uh, wouldn't be prudent to put out on a public podcast. Yep, and thank you if you do support us. Yeah, it, All right. it really helps us to uh, do the work that we do. So. Yes. Including this podcast, so you're supporting uh, you're supporting us being able to do this. So thank you. Yes. All right. I think that's it, Matt. Okay, here is it is. Right? Get ready. Get ready for Brian. Brian BZ, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be with you guys. Yes, I'm here with uh, Ben Sternke. Hey, good to see, good to be with y'all, and good to see you, Ben. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, good to see you too. I can man. tell you're wearing your Liverpool red today. I am. What's yeah, going on with that? Uh, on the day that they qualified for the final 16 in the Champions League, so that's a big deal. The Reds. Of course, BZ's looking at that shirt and thinking, "I didn't know he was a Chiefs fan." That's yeah. that's the only football I know anything <laughs> about. <laughs> Yes. The manly kind of football. Mm. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Mm. I feel yeah. bad. The second they came out of my mouth, I thought I shouldn't have said that. Start, starting off on the wrong foot here. I don't know. Yeah, somebody ever asks was, you. That was uncalled for. If somebody ever asks you, Brian, what's it like to be Matt Tebby? You can say, well, that one time I said something I regretted right away. I bet he feels like that a lot. Uh, hey, we're doing a series. We're doing a series on how to deconstruct without losing your faith. Um, and deconstruction is when you the frames, the scripts, the stories that you've inherited no longer cohere and make sense of reality. Brian, you've um, obviously been on the podcast before chatting a little bit about this. You've written a a whole book uh, called Water to Wine that narrates your the shifting of your faith over, I don't know, what, a 20-year journey? Um. Well, I mean, it began about 20 years ago, really began about 16 years ago. And I think of the journey as taking, as far as me taking my church, it took about 10 years. I mean, I know the journey's ongoing, but it isn't like we're in massive transition change now. Yeah. So it took, I don't know, for me, it was a, you know, four or five year journey and then another four or five years to bring the church with me. Yes, and we've we've spoken to a number of people who share uh, their their best practices, kind of talking about it at twenty thousand feet. But when I thought about how do we get down to brass tacks, how do we get into the warp and woof of the things that mm-hmm. are shaking? You know, I thought uh, I'd love to hear BZ's thoughts on this. So I want to throw out four topics, Brian. Okay, that I think I hear about people having the most questions about, and they're. It's threatening their actual, the way they make sense of reality. And they think, if I don't come down where I've always come down on this issue, then I can no longer be a Christian. And they are politics, sexuality, hell, and the trustworthiness of Scripture. Yep. Let's go. Which one? I think think you got them all. Is there anything else? Mm. Uh, No, that's about it. That's probably enough for now. Even if it's not everything, it's probably well, enough. <laughs> that's probably that's probably four podcasts, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's take. I'm, I'm real comf. I can speak real comfortably about three of them. One of them <laughs> is a landmine. <laughs> of course, you're talking about scripture. No, uh, scripture, let's yeah, well, let's start right. with scripture. Uh, let's start okay. with scripture, and this can show up in lots of ways, right? Where you you grew up in a youth group, and you're taught all these defenses about a literal seven day creation and science. My son was just telling me that 
he's watching this video on YouTube. Or no, he's watching um uh what's that show of a little uh oh shoot. What's Okay, so uh, I forget it. My, my kids are older. I, I don't know what the shows are. There, on there's right like now. the like the the most popular comedy in the world has the scientists who are a bunch of nerds who make jokes all the time oh, about science. Uh, Big Bang Theory, maybe. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Oh. And there's a there's a new sitcom that's a a break off of that with oh it's like Baby Sheldon or or Little Sheldon. That's what it's called, Little, little Sheldon. Sheldon. Okay. And Sheldon is is like uh, at a youth group. And he's he's sharing all these things about how this uh, the creation is wrong and it's all science. And I had to have this conversation with my eleven year old. Hey, uh, I love science, and I also love God. And they, this antagonism that the culture thinks exists at the heart of science and maybe revelation or faith doesn't exist. Anyway, that's one way it can show up. Right, Brian, you you've been talking about a Jesus shaped way of understanding Scripture, and people have called you a Marcionite. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this. You probably have heard this. Uh, you know, uh, so there's all this upheaval about how do I, if I'm not going to read Scripture as this flat sort of document, how do I read it in light of Jesus in a way that makes sense of science, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So can you just tell us, like, how well, you navigate that? Yeah, the first thing to say is that this is a uniquely Protestant problem. Um, Orthodox and Catholics don't sit around and have this problem. You see, what happened was, at least in the West, we'll just keep it to the West, 500 years ago, there was a divorce. And you always have to tell kids that are in a family that's going through a divorce, it's not your fault. So I'm just telling y'all, it's not your fault. But 500 <laughs> years ago, our parents got divorced. Catholic mom and Protestant dad went through a divorce. And then there's the divorce settlement um, and in the divorce settlement, Catholic mom got almost everything. <laughs> uh, pr- she got, you know, just pretty much everything. The church, mostly the church fathers, sacraments, traditions, all that. Um, Protestant dad, all he got was the Bible. And those of us that ended up with Protestant dad, uh, you know, Protestant dad had to make the Bible everything. And he did... And Protestants did really good work with the Bible. I mean that. I mean, Protestant biblical scholarship has led the way. Uh, But in the end, Protestants required the Bible to be more than it could be. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing now are the cracks and fissures of just putting too much pressure on the Bible. It Mm -hmm. can't be everything. It can't be perfect. It can't be all that we're trying to make it. In fact, what we're doing in the Protestant world when we make this mistake is we're trying to make the Bible Jesus. Hmm. No, our faith is in Jesus. Our faith is in Christ. We learn how to read the Bible in the light of Christ. Um, so I don't know what else to say. I mean, there's so much to be said. <laughs> well, that's it's a shift really, right there. That's a shift right there that it's... Yeah, uh, oh, and let me, let me say, because you brought it up and I'm all touchy about this. Let's let's say something about Marcion. Marcion was a second century bishop <laughs> who who did see some of the he saw he saw the problems that everybody saw. I mean, everybody sees the problems. Yeah. Of you have you have Jesus preaching a message of, you know, nonviolence, turn the cheek, love and grace and all that. And then you have some fairly horrific stories in the Old Testament. And so how do we navigate that? What do we do with that? Yeah. Well, there's you know, an origin. The church fathers, you know, they saw this from day one, and basically their 
approach is something like this. All scripture finds its fulfillment in Christ. This is what Christians would say. And so we read what we will call the Old Testament. It's, it's actually the Hebrew scriptures, but we call it the Old Testament because there is a Christian reading of the Hebrew scriptures. I'm not saying that Jews, I'm not going to say in the 21st centuries that Jews shouldn't read the Bible the way they read their Bible. What mm -hmm. I am saying is there is a way that Christians read the Bible. And we, we learn this, I mean, from Jesus and the Emmaus Road, that Jesus speaks to the Emmaus Road disciples and he, he showed them how to interpret all things in the law and the prophets about himself. And so we go and, and we look for Jesus. If we, if we can't find Jesus in a passage, we, we don't have much to say about it. We don't jettison it. We don't throw it out. We just don't make a big deal about it because we don't know what to do with it. Um, so you have, you have church fathers like Origen, and pretty much everybody did the same thing. They would just allegorize everything. So they didn't worry about was, was the conquest of Joshua a literal historical event or not. They didn't care. They just said, well, you know, this is about uh, the war of the soul. And, and we must go and obliterate those things that are a threat to our soul, things like yeah. that. Marcion comes along, though, and Marcion is Marcion is not that deft for whatever reason. He's he's like kind of a modern fundamentalist, and he can't read the Bible that way. It's all or nothing with him. So he makes this crazy move. He says that Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the God of the Old Testament, was a demiurge, which is kind of a lower tier God, kind of a Gnostic a idea, yeah. God. And kind of a and a bad god at that, it's sort of a yeah. demonic type thing. And so he says, let's just get rid of the Old Testament. Just just get rid of it. And um, I I don't say anything like that. I say that that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the Abba of Jesus Christ. And I read the Old Testament every day. I'm preaching from it during Advent, preaching all the Isaiah passages. So uh, no, I'm not a Marcionite. Yeah, um, I, I I don't know if we can do it in a little quick segment, but there there are you can you can be shown how to read, how to hold on to your Bible going through deconstruction. Just you just can't stay a biblicist. You can't stay a literalist. You can't stay a fundamentalist. Yes, uh, you're going to have to have a much more artistic approach. Yes. to how we read and handle Scripture. I think that's an that, issue. That's not that big a deal, is it? Is it that hard? I think, For some I, people, it is. I think even having the word biblicist to name what used to seem faithful and the only true reading is helpful. Yeah. That yeah. there's a difference between uh, holding Scripture to be authoritative and central to our faith mm -hmm. versus being a biblicist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I heard you saying there too is that I don't, I don't, I, I don't have a low view of scripture. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm sitting here, got Bibles all around me open and I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I live in the scriptures. I live in the text. Yeah. What I do have is a high Christology. Yeah. So, and, so tease and that I, out. What, so when, well, if I'm listening through Biblicist lens, Brian, I just heard you pit Jesus versus the Bible. Why are you not doing that? Well, Jesus is, um, I'll put it this way. At the end of his poetic prologue, introducing his gospel, John says this. At the, at the end of the prologue, the, the final line is this. Uh, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is near the Father's heart, he has made him known. 
Now, you can be a biblicist and you can say, whoa, hold on here, John. Hold on. You say no one is seeing God. Yeah. Well, what about Abraham? He saw God and had a meal with him under the oaks of Mamre. What about Moses? You know, he saw God. What about Jacob? He saw God at the top of the ladder. What about those 70 elders of Israel? It just says they saw God. They ate and they drank. What about Isaiah in the temple in the year King Uzziah died? What about Ezekiel? He had visions of God by the river Kibar. And John would say, look, you don't need to teach me the Bible. I know what it says, but I'm telling you, compared, no, I mean, no matter what dreams, visions, mm -hmm. theophanies, Christophanies, epiphanies people had in time past, compared to the revelation of God that we have in Jesus Christ, no one has ever seen God. So, see, you see, that's it's just a high view of Christ. Yes. Yeah, so I think we're going to move on to the next topic, but I think what I hear you saying is there's permission to wrestle with how Scripture is true and how Jesus changes what we can see and what we thought we knew. So Jesus becomes, I've heard you say before, Jesus, Jesus becomes— Jesus will even say things like, you have heard it said, but I say. Yeah. That's why at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the little uh, comment by Matthew is, the people were astonished because he taught as one having authority, not as the scribes. Meaning, not that Jesus was self-confident in his delivery, meaning— <laughs> That Jesus, instead of saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, in the Sermon on the Mount, was saying, I say, I say, I say, based simply on his own authority. And that puts people in a, wow, you have to decide, okay, who is this man? Yeah. Rabbi Jacob Neusner, uh, who I appreciate deeply, he, he says, in the end, I have to reject what Jesus asks of me in the Sermon on the Mount, because only God has the authority to ask of me what Jesus asks of me in the Sermon on the Mount. To which then I would say, all right, at least we understand that you've framed it properly. Yeah. That, that you have to decide who is this who is speaking. Does he have the authority to speak in the name of God? So there's a book idea for you, How to Read the Bible with a High Christology, or How to Read the Bible yeah. as a Christian. Like, we need, we need guides in this. We need help. All right, second thing, hell. Brian, I, when I came, became a Christian, the first series of books I read were the Left Behind books. <laughs> it's amazing. Really? You're still a Christian. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't it? Wow. It's nuts. I remember, I remember waiting tables. Sad. Well, uh, it was the best sad. I could do. We were, well, we were mean, young I mean, and foolish. Not... I was drinking red number five in my Kool-Aid at that time. We didn't know what we were doing, Brian. <laughs> All right. All right, let me tell the story. So... Um, I never read the books. I never read those books. Not, I mean, there was a time when I would have shared the general arc of eschatology that is presented there, but I try. I, I got halfway through the first chapter of the first book and was so offended by how poorly it was written. I thought I just have enough respect for, you know, literature that I just can't. I can't. It wasn't the theology. It was just. It was written so terrible. Yeah. Uh, okay. Another. That's not the story I want to tell. I want to yeah. tell this real quick. So after our church was going through this transition, you know, the the books in our bookshop needed changing, <laughs> and so a lot of so we had a big sale. So you know, you could buy because we were getting rid of old books and bringing in new ones. And um, I don't. I don't think I was in charge of this at all. In fact, I know I wasn't. But there was a table out in the foyer that had you know stacks and stacks and stacks of books. Uh, for one dollar, Perry, my wife, was walking through there, and she saw the Left Behind books there. She just grabbed them, put them in some boxes, put them on a two-wheeler, took them out, and threw them in the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I was so proud of her. That's great. That's okay. So the question was hell. Well, um, in, in more particular, the only faithful, orthodox, biblical way of seeing hell is mm-hmm. is that people who don't confess Christ in their life with their mouth as Savior and Lord and will, believe in their heart and believe in their heart, right? Yep. Then they will uh, spend an eternity. Uh, suffering consciously, and mm-hmm. so so, but that's not it. That's not all of it. But that's that will glorify God. If that didn't exist, God's glory would be diminished, and the saints will spend eternity uh, of awareness of that happening, and it will increase their joy and delight in God. The the Bible says almost nothing like that. Now, I know you can read it. You can be trained to read it in a way that you can find that. But you are certainly not required to believe that. A few thoughts real quick. First of all, in the book of Acts, there are somewhere around eight sermons, depending on what you count as a sermon. So these these are thumbnail sketches of how the earliest apostles proclaim the gospel. In none of them do they make an appeal to afterlife issues. So if you can't preach the gospel without appealing to afterlife issues, you can't preach the gospel as the apostles did. Mm. Their, uh, their, their gospel was basically uh, the world now has a new emperor, a new Lord, a new Caesar. Forgiveness of sins are offered in his name. But the, the, the real thing is you just need to come under the reign and rule of this new king. Be baptized, pledge your allegiance to him, and come be a part of this new way of arranging human society that God has inaugurated through Jesus Christ. So that's how they announced it. Now, they certainly had certain ideas about afterlife. Um, but the idea that uh, this, the problem with the word hell is you have this English word, H-E-L-L, that travels through time. And it picks up all kinds of baggage hmm. from Dante to Chick Tracks to the Assembly of God Hell House on Halloween. <laughs> and all of that stuff gets read back into the text. Hmm. And so we end up thinking it's, it's why a good translation these days will never even use the word hell. In the Old Testament, it'll just translate. It won't translate. It'll say Sheol. In the New Testament, it'll say Gehenna or some other things. Um, most, some people like to say, well, Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that Jesus gave dire warnings about that which was impending. And he said, borrowing language from both Isaiah and Jeremiah, he said, Jerusalem, because you're rejecting the way of peace, you're going to be drugged down into the Valley of Hinnom, that is the garbage dump to the south of the city, where the fires are kept burning and the maggots are ever present. And you're going. And, and what happened in AD 70, you can use this language, it's perfectly legitimate. Jerusalem went to hell. Yeah. But Jesus wasn't primarily warning about an afterlife issue. So someone would say to me, Well, Brian, do, do you believe in? Do you believe in a literal hell? I say, well, yes, I believe in a literal hell. I don't think you do. What happened in AD 70 was a literal <laughs> hell. Not, not, a, not a spiritual hell, not a 
you know, it, it was a literal hell. Now, I also do believe that to stand before Christ, um, there, there proceeds from the heart of Christ a river of fire that is pure love. But to stand in that presence as one who has devoted their life to that which is contrary to the way of love indeed must be somewhat painful. Yeah. Um, there, there's so, I'm, I'm feeling frustrated because there's so much I want to say about yeah. this. Uh, yeah. In my book, Sinners in the Hands of Loving God, I have one single chapter just called Hell and How to Get There. You know what? It's, a, it's online for free. I'm not trying to sell books here. Yeah. Just Google Zond Hell. <laughs> That'll probably get you good enough. <laughs> you may get Zond, lots of articles that he has. Zond written. goes to hell. No, Zond. <laughs> hell and How to Get There. And you can read the whole chapter for free. Yeah. I feel really good about it. It won't answer every question, but I set forth what I really think. And then uh, I suspect at least some of our listeners have read David Bentley Hart's uh, That All Shall Be Saved. Heaven, Hell, and Universal Salvation. David Bentley Hart is a full-on, full-on, card-carrying, flag-waving universalist. Yeah. What I want to say about universalism, universalism is not a heresy. It is a minority position that has always been held by some, uh, including Gregory of Nyssa. And if you start throwing Gregory of Nyssa under the heretic bus, then I mean, this is the guy that presides over the Council of Nicaea, so you can't really do that to him. Um, I don't call myself a universalist because this is this is what people hear. Also, Hitler's in his bunker and he pulls the trigger, and now he's in his five-star luxury resort. No, no serious Christian universalist believes that. I don't call myself a universalist. What I do is I call myself. Well, I don't have a label. I just say I have a robust hope that Christ will be able to reconcile all things to Himself. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. Somewhere along the line, we picked up this idea, though, that everything is sealed once and for all at death. You know, Hebrews 9, 27, so the point is that each man die once and after this is judgment, to which I say, amen, then what? Then what? Yeah, right. this is one yeah. of the things, this is one of the yeah. things uh, dad didn't get in the divorce. Yeah. Because the Catholics well, still have some sort of post-mortem. Yeah, purgatory, all that right. kind of stuff, like whether and, or not you really believe in it. Like, it, and of course, there's a possibility out there, right? Yeah, but then, then the argument is, well, then what's the point of preaching the gospel? See, once you reduce salvation yeah. yes. to afterlife issues and the gospel as a ticket to heaven, everything goes wrong. Yeah. We preach the gospel because the gospel is the announcement that the world has a new Lord and that we yeah. need to come now and live under his reign. Yeah. Uh, yes. it, it's, it's 
the gospel was never uh, in its original proclamation afterlife oriented. It was not. Uh, Jesus died on the cross, so you could go to heaven and not hell. Accept Jesus into your heart, so you can go to heaven and not hell. That is not the gospel they preach. Yeah, yeah the whole thing is a house of cards. If 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 it, if that is your gospel, well, then you have to hold on to eternal conscious torment. You have to hold on to that as like that. That's your only motivation for preaching the gospel. Yeah, that, it, like it's a whole house of cards. Torment produces protest atheists. Yeah, uh, yeah. most yeah. Christians yeah. that I meet that have become atheists. They are protest atheists. So mm. I could say, they, I said, what do you mean you're an atheist? Well, I don't believe in God. Well, what do you mean you don't believe in God? I don't believe in God. Well, tell me about this God you don't believe in. <laughs> and they describe this God they don't believe in. I said, well, I don't believe in that God either, but I'm not an atheist. Yep. Yeah, this was a big turning point for me. I, I felt backed into eternal conscious torment as though if I'm going to be a Christian, I've got to, this is the hard pill to swallow. And over time, my conscience, it actually, right. it actually scarred my conscience. I felt like it made a mockery of the words mm-hmm. goodness and love and justice so that I didn't even, I didn't know how those words cohered anymore. And I didn't know how to trust a God who could call that good and loving. Have you read Hart's book? I have not. You must. You must read it. It's going to be my book of the year. I, I forgot to finish my thought. I was throwing out the caveat that I don't call myself a universalist. Hart does. But it is as only David Bentley Hart can. It is the ultimate takedown yeah. of eternal conscious torment. I've heard people, including our friend uh, Scott McKnight, I've heard people uh, kind of ba- uh, trash the book, not trash, um, denounce the book based upon that, actually, that Hart's, if Hart's rhetoric demonstrated the love that he so fervently advocates for I've, in the I've book. I've read it twice. I understand people saying that. I just loved the book. <laughs> and, 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 and what he what he thrashes, I think, needed thrashing. That's how I feel about it. All right. Well, speaking of new lords and thrashing, the, the third thing that I think per, uh, gives people consternation and perturbs them when, in terms of how do I stay a Christian is sort of the political climate we live in, right? Where yeah. um, many of us who are raised in conservative, evangelical, Christian homes, uh, they have decidedly aligned themselves— with a particular political ideology, uh, and then you know we've we've seen people who were Christians or you know said they were Christians be president before, and now we have a particular president who, uh, even as we're recording, is in the middle of being uh, perhaps impeached. But uh, yeah. how how do we extricate our faith from the ideology, the political American political ideology that surrounds us? And until we see, and I've I've said this for years, and now. It, carries a double entendre, but until we see the kingdom of God, politics trumps everything. If we think of the gospel as a ticket to heaven, and that's basically it, and so between here and heaven, we've got to figure out some way to run the world, then we end up putting, um, investing a lot of passion, energy, and even faith in political parties. And then Jesus is recruited to be an endorser of these political agendas, right or left. I, I can be, I mean, I think in the Christian right, I see a particular crisis of fidelity in the present moment, but I don't have any more faith in the Christian left. The problem with these, these terminology is Christian is reduced to adjective duty, to yeah. the all, serving the all-important noun, right or left, Republican, Democrat, conservative, progressive. And Jesus is not 
going to be a pitch man for partisanship. Jesus is Lord. He has his own politics. Yes. Um, so if once you see the kingdom of Christ, then, um, then you won't have a lot of allegiance or energy, I think, left to put into political parties. Now, you may think in terms of, you know, who will do the least harm and that sort of thing, but neither party in America, no, no political party, is going to be able to embody the kingdom of Christ. Only the church can do that, and the church has a hard enough time doing it. Yeah, so you've made this distinction between being political and being partisan. Right. And what I hear you advocating for is having a Jesus politic of kingdom at the center rather than being partisan and having a donkey or an elephant at the center. How, where do we go to where do we go to learn that, to embody that, to inhabit that? How do we how do we discover that? It begins you have to perceive the kingdom of Christ. You have to actually see that there is that that the kingdom of God is coming and is present. Stanley Hirewas says the, the church doesn't have a social policy. The church is a social policy. I mean, mm. once, once we start employing the rhetoric of changing the world, we need to change the world. Those are dangerous words. Yeah, why? Beca- because, well, we get tempted to reach for the coercive power of Caesar's sword. And so rather than the, the task of the church is never to change the world directly. The task of the church is simply to be that part of the world already changed by Christ. And then we live that out as a colony, as a, as a uh, community of believers within a wider, wider world. Again, I'm going to go all Hirewas on you. Hirewas says the, the, the primary task of the church is to make the world the world. By which he means is yeah. we, in some way we have to be something different. And so we, if all we are is um, Democrats that go to church on Sunday or Republicans that go to church on Sunday, how is that any different than the world? We really need to be something other. Yeah. And so I, I think once you see the kingdom of Christ, you begin to have some um, passionate uh, uh, ambivalence. <laughs> about the machinations of politics. I mean, I know that's, I, I said that deliberately. It's kind of a passionate ambivalence. I'm, I'm very passionate about helping Christians be somewhat more ambivalent about political parties and partisanship. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean we don't care about justice issues. Yeah, that's, that's my but, struggle listening to you, Brian. Like, I, I'm with you. I, right? I hear this, but then I, I, I listen to persons of color or, or minority persons in a, in a white Christian America. And for them, politics, they tell me politics isn't something I can opt out of and be ambivalent about. Politics is life and death for me. I don't, I don't, I don't opt out of it. I'm simply not going to be a part of the machine. And I have to believe that being salt and light is being something. Yeah, yeah. That proclaiming the gospel is something. That 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 forming communities that live the Jesus way on a local level is doing something. Yeah, Ben and I are part of a local organization. Uh, we're trying to get become more a part of it. That does local agitation. Uh, bringing faith groups, Jewish, Muslim, and Christian groups together yeah. to agitate for things like mental health professionals riding in police cars. 60% of the right. people in our county uh, who are in- incarcerated have mental health issues. And so mm. how do we stop criminalizing mental health and start, you know, keeping... Yeah, that's, that's, that's beautiful. And th- that's, a, that's a political agitation. That's, that's very political, but it's not partisan. That's something that people who identify as red or blue can get behind, I think. Right. Um, well, finally... 
Just a quick and easy one. Sexuality. Just a quick tag at the end. You know, we only have 20 seconds, Brian. We, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, so sexuality. I mean, what a quagmire, right? Like, uh, Okay, let, let, me, um, let me just try. Um, boy, this is a quagmire. Here we go. I don't think the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, knew there were gay people. <laughs> but we do. By that I mean. By that I mean. The, the Bible is well aware of certain uh, sexual practices that we could call homosexual, and it condemns it. But I don't think it. I don't think the Bible talks about gay people as we talk about it. I think they talked about in the Old Testament. Gordon Fee says what it's denouncing there is male temple prostitutes. Okay, I think. I think hopefully enough of us have an, enough of a Christ-informed ethic that we would be against prostitution, mm -hmm. especially ritualized temple prostitution. Um, in the New Testament, I, I have this thought experiment. I imagine, uh, you know, Paul has his passage there in Romans that we're familiar with, Romans 1. But if I sat down with Paul and I said, Paul, I have some members of my church these two women or these two men and they, they're, they, they live together and all, I'm not sure. I don't know that Paul, I think Paul might say, yeah, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I think we have a problem. Of, I think part of, part of our problem is we don't understand how successfully Christianity changed the world so that it was in the Greco-Roman world, a man of power would often gain sexual satisfaction through the abuse of boys and slaves because he was in a position to do that. He had his wife, through whom he would have children, um, but sexual gratification was very often uh, this kind of dominant position over boys and slaves, and Paul says, hmm, we're not going to live that way in the kingdom of Christ. Yeah. So, so within my lifetime, though, we've had this awareness that, wait a minute, there are people who are gay, by which I mean they have same, their, their sexual orientation is same sex. And this is more or less news to the church. <laughs> this is more or less news to the church. Right. We, we, we've just, and now we've got to figure out, uh, well, sh shall, we shall we say, okay, well, then, then let's just normalize everything and let's have same sex union. Let's have, let's, yeah. let's have same sex marriage. Here's my problem with that. It's not a problem. First of all, I'm just with the Pope. Who am I to judge? I know I'm not judging. I'm just thinking you asked me the darn question. Yeah. yeah. So what is marriage? What it's this, it's this unique thing. Cause I don't get to say that I'm married. I have to have some other community say, yep, yeah, you're married. You two are married. So, so Matt, if you and I decide to be best friends, we don't have to get a license. And then if we decide we don't want to be best friends anymore, we don't have to go before a judge and say, would you please dissolve our friendship? It, yeah. So what is the compelling interest of the state to be involved in this thing called marriage? Well, it's Christendom, baby. It's, it's, <laughs> it's universal. It's been around forever. Yeah. I think it has primarily to do with sex heterosexual sex is the union from which children come. Yeah. You have sex, you start having babies and they figured that out pretty quick. And they <laughs> said, well, you know, we need to keep these couples together. That's the, that's the best thing for yeah. the, the tribe, the community, the city, the culture. 
And so every culture, without exception, built some sort of system around this pair bond. Now, it varied, and sometimes it was polygamous and all other things, but, but still there was some way of protecting it. And then the 60s happened. Yeah, the sexual revolution. And with the 60s happened, we suddenly came up with a way to have sex without having babies. So you can have sex but not have babies. So now um, it seems to me that marriage has pretty much been turned into into state-sanctioned BFF status. And if that's what marriage is, if, ma- if marriage is state-sanctioned BFF status, with, there is with no benefits. coherent argument that can be made that is not supportive of same-sex marriage. With benefits, My, though, right? You're leaving off the with benefits part. I mean, there's very few same-sex partners that get married and decide to be celibate. Uh, yeah, I guess. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, but, I'm, but I'm talking about... Um, with the 60s, though, there was there was no longer this real tie between yeah. sex and children. Yeah, right. We, sex we, became, you know, just, just it could be, if you want it, it could just be fun. It's exploration, self, yeah. self uh, you know, expression, all of that sort of thing. The, the 60s. And that leaves the church kind of trying to figure out, well, hold on here. What, what is marriage? Yeah. Um, I, I understand mainline Protestant churches are pretty much yep we're just going to we're just going to call same sex unions marriage i would just like i'm just standing on the sidelines watching i would kind of like some of the other church to come along sure um this feels like the one of the one of the four that i mentioned that has the most uh we still have the most work to do in discernment and well this is the one that i mean i I have strong opinions about hell and how we should understand that. I could write a whole book on it, same about you know politics. I have written books on those. And what was the other thing? Oh, biblicism. I've written on all this. Yeah. The other, I, I, I'm, 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 you've coaxed me into talking a little bit here, but I'm mostly, honestly, I'm just mostly sitting on the sidelines. Yep. Saying, I'm confused. I, I want to act in love. Let me just say, let me be very clear. We have same-sex couples in our church not only in our church, that moved to be a part of Word of Life Church. Hmm. So, so they're, they're very welcome. Uh, they're in our church. They're participating, leading, serving, staff even. Uh, but we've never done a same-sex wedding. Some of our staff would, some of them wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, so— I mean, So, Brand- so, so and, and by the way, it's, not, it's never been—the only time it, it's— controversial is when i speak like this <laughs> it, it's 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 never been an issue in our church it's never been an and there, there hasn't been one moment of controversy in our church yeah somehow our church has just been able to navigate this and it's because it's 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 real it's local it's people we know it's people we know and love and we work it out yeah uh, and i've heard you talk about having like people who work for government officials that have to do with immigration and having immigrants in your right. church and how yeah. it's, it's uh, they're, they're able to worship together. I think anytime the, there's the, this... The things, that people, the things that people come at me yeah. on social media, as if that's a real world, never occur in real life at church. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? At Word of Life. I mean, yeah. there, it's just not been a problem. Yeah. So I, I do some, I can, I, can, I can admit that I do have a little bit of resentment 
where someone that doesn't even know me, has never been to our church, doesn't know anything about us, says you have to sign our document and say you agree with this or else we're just going to you know, troll you. Yeah. I said, well, come on, man. Well, you're a Christian. That's probably why that bothers you. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, I guess for, for me, for Ben and I and for Gravity, like uh, there's just a lot of people who have a lot of questions, and I feel like I'm unable to sign off on kind of the staunch purity patriarchy camp that I came out of that I, right. I, I hear from non, non-male, non-cisgendered people about how awful it was and is to live in that culture. And frankly, as a cisgendered white male, it's awful for me. <laughs> like, it's awful yeah. for me. Yeah. And then I can't kind of sign off on the consent sort of, you know, if, if, t- if two people are consenting, then that's sort of the meta-ethic that drives a morality. Like and I, I wonder, like, between purity culture and consent culture, uh, how kingdom culture can speak into that. How we can begin, maybe from Jesus up, who, when he teaches on sex, uh, doesn't ever, well, very f- infrequently. I don't know, Brian, you, this is like a impromptu sword drill here, but I, every time he teaches on sex, he's speaking to people who have power, who are yeah. misusing their power on those who get, uh, marginalized and abused based upon their gender and or yeah. situation. And I think that's mostly what Paul was doing too. Yeah. And so what if what would it look like for the confessing church that you described that you want that you're standing on the sidelines with, the Pope? What would it look like for that church to start where Jesus started by advocating for the marginalized, the abused, the oppressed, uh, the intersex person who has no idea how to yeah. describe themselves or didn't ask to be whatever? And we right. we start there advocating for them, and then we from the ground up build a sexual ethic. I think about that a lot. I'd love I'd love for somebody to do that work. <laughs> well, it, it's going to be done. Uh, I I have faith that the church is going to work this out within the next <laughs> forty years. <laughs> mm. But it's going to take a while. Yep. It's going to take a while, and I don't know exactly what what a Christ-informed sexual ethic 40 years from now looks like. Uh, I just know there, there are topics upon which I'm confident and I feel like I have something to say. There's, and, But isn't it all right for me to have at least some topics where I can say, you know, I'm not sure I know what I'm talking about. So if you don't mind, I'm going to be mostly quiet. Yeah, I think that's probably wisdom. Brian, thanks for coming on. Thanks that's for, always good to chat with you. Yeah, you like too, you man. guys. I like gravity. I like what you're doing. Thanks. We we uh we got to get a, uh, another prayer school in the books. Uh, okay. Every every month I hear from somebody who tells me that that prayer school changed their life. I know they'll be on your website soon for 2020. Yeah. Uh, but I'll I'll talk to you about getting one with a, like a co gravity thing. Uh, thanks, BZ. Thank you. Happy Advent to you. Peace. All right. See you. Adios. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. 
And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.